welcome back to episode 3 of the Pulsock podcast. I'd like to start today with a big thank you to my own students and to some of my fellow Pulsock teachers who've helped to make the initial launch of the podcast such a success. We're up on iTunes, we're up on Stitcher, and the website is getting traffic. This all adds up to the idea that somebody out there is listening to this. This gives me more than enough reason to continue with the process. The goal of today's episode is to get our heads around our domestic democratic institutions. To do this, we're going to look at both ends of the spectrum. I'll start by interviewing my good friend Anne-Marie McNally, who's the political director of one of the country's newest political parties, the Social Democrats, who joined me to help us navigate the sometimes inaccessible world of the Oireachtas in Leinster House. We'll then shift our attention to the polar opposite world of school life, and consider the role of student councils that are active in so many of our secondary schools around the country, and which up till now have been the only bridge between the Junior Cert CSBE programme and the big bad world of politics. To do this, I'll be joined by my colleague Miss Susan Leahy, who coordinates the student council in our school, the King's Hospital, and more importantly by members of the council itself. A cross-section of the council has agreed to share their experiences of being in the front lines of student democracy with us. I'm particularly interested to see if we can identify any points of intersection between the micro and the macro, between the, between the Oireachtas and the classroom. I will offer one quick word of warning about this episode. It's being recorded during the last fortnight of November 2017, when the current doll is in a state of what we might call uncertainty. Political controversies around the actions of Tánaiste, the deputy leader, Frances Fitzgerald, while she held the justice portfolio, as we call it, in other words, when she was the Minister for Justice, looked like they might possibly lead to her resignation and maybe even a general election. So, if I'm out of date when you hear this, you'll understand exactly why. At the very least, though, this should serve to underline to us why it's important for you to understand the institutions themselves, not just be able to recognise the pictures of specific politicians who happen to pop up on your news feed from time to time. As I often say to my own students, if I can't explain to them why something is important and worthy of their attention, then I shouldn't really be teaching them about it. So this is exactly how I started my interview with Anne-Marie McNally. I asked her why teenagers should even care about the world of politics. Politics influences every single thing in your life. Um, and I firmly believe that if you're going to have a say in the system, if you're going to challenge the system, you need to know how the system works to begin with. Um, every day we get representations from people who, you know, are exercised about a particular issue and they want to know, you know, why aren't you standing up and challenging the Taoiseach? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Um, and a simple piece of education around how things actually work would tell them why certain things aren't happening when, when it looks like, you know, they should or could be. Um, and why certain things are happening when it looks like they shouldn't be. So just understanding the basic um, nuts and bolts of how it works can be very useful in figuring out um, effective strategies for tackling things that you have issues with. Well, so I suppose it stops um, you from being hoodwinked. No one can pull the wool over your eyes if you know how the wool is made. Exactly, that's what I mean. So if you know the nuts and bolts of how it's working, um, you can question it and you can question it legitimately. So Anne-Marie, you're a political director. Can you explain to the students what that job entails day to day? Um, my it's twofold. So the first is very kind of um, 
you know, academic. So it's looking at the, the doll schedule for the week ahead. It's having a look at what the legislation is, reading through those pieces of legislation, uh, giving the TDs a bird's eye overview of every piece of business coming up in the House this week. And then there is um, a more analytical side of it, which is really looking into it, making calls about which way the party would vote on a particular piece of legislation or a motion, what kind of stands we should take. Um, and sometimes that's about looking at more than just the issue. It's about looking at the politics surrounding it. It's about looking at the lobby groups behind the piece um, and what kind of things are influencing that piece of legislation. So it's about taking a, a rounded view of what's happening in the Dáil on any given week. So you're thinking about the big ideas behind it and then how to actually put those ideas into practice and working out how that fits in the schedule. Exactly. Um, and also keeping a very keen eye to making sure that we can sit comfortably with whatever it is in terms of the principles and values of social democracy. What's the most challenging part of that job? The, the pace, um, the amount. So we would get a draft indicative schedule sent around for the following week on a Thursday evening. So that's like the, the, your school timetable for next week. Exactly. So the, the government whips office will circulate what's called the draft schedule. And on that we'll have you know the regular set pieces such as leaders' questions and order of business and that. And then we'll also have the timetable for legislation and motions for the week ahead. I can pretty much guarantee you that by Monday evening we'll have got four different variations of revised schedules because things will be uh, stuck on there things will be taken off so it's a constant battle of trying to keep up and keep reading um, what's in the week ahead and that will change as the week goes on as well so for example on a Tuesday afternoon when we kick off at 2 o'clock with leaders questions we can be pretty set that the first 3 to 4 hours are going to be the standard set pieces but then government business kicks in at 5 past 6 um, up until four o'clock, that's likely to change. So I could have done, you know, a specific piece of reading about whatever, say, the Heritage Bill, um, which was last week's government business. At five o'clock, I can be told that the Heritage Bill is pulled off and the Legal Services Bill is on. So that will give me an hour to try and get my head around the Legal Services Bill, inform our deputies what's happening, work out our speaking times, and probably prepare a speech for one of the deputies. I'm hoping that you'll remember at least some of the following from your Junior Cert CSPE program, but I'll give a little refresher here of the basic mechanics of our Arachtus, our government, so that we can leave Anne-Marie to focus on some of the more interesting details. So we have a bicameral parliament, in other words, that means two separate chambers, the upper and the lower house. The lower house is the more important of the two, and it consists of 158 TDs, Chachtidala, members of parliament, that represent 40 different constituencies around the country. Those TDs are elected for a maximum of a five-year term and are elected by a process called proportional representation with a single transferable vote. Best advice is to go and look that one up for yourself, but it basically means you get to vote for preferences of more than one candidate, unlike the first pass, the post system that you would see in Britain. With 158 TDs sitting in the Dáil, it means that 80 are needed in order to form a majority government. But we're a way away from that at the moment. Hopefully that will have refreshed your memory enough for Anne-Marie's more subtle insights to make more sense. I'll hand over to her. Okay, the Oireachtas is made up of two separate houses, the Dáil and the Shannad. Um, traditionally known as the Upper and Lower House, the Shannad being the Upper House. In practice, that's actually not the case. Um, you know, the primary legislative body is the, is the Dáil. 
Um, 99.9% pieces of legislation will go through the Dáil first before going into the Shannad. Um, they'll sometimes come back from the Shannad with amendments and that the Dáil will vote on. Um, there's very, very minor pieces of legislation, very few pieces of legislation will come the other way around, will have originated in the Shannad and come into the Dáil. This is a very different Dáil than other Dáils in the sense that there's quite a lot of smaller parties and independents and different groupings um, rather than the traditional big two. Having said that, it still is very much dominated by the big two, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. But there are more opportunities for the smaller party. The problem is that those opportunities tend to be at inopportune times. And if you were looking at the the front bench, how how is that how is that broken down? The front bench. So the front bench government side is made up of the senior ministers in government. Um, you'll have the Taoiseach, the Tánais, the Minister for Justice, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, Fianna Fáil's front bench, you know, it's the equivalent of what they call in the UK shadow ministers. So you'll have the spokespersons for Fianna Fáil on foreign affairs, justice, um, which will make up their front bench. We you mentioned the Shannon earlier. Uh, how do how does someone become a senator? What do you have to do to actually be sitting in that room as opposed to being elected to the Dáil? The Shannon is a very different body. Um, the idea behind the Shannon was that it would be a, a body that was made up of representatives from various different elements of public and social life and civic organisations. Um, so there's a number of what they call panels. Um, some of them are university panels, so graduates of particular universities can vote for candidates um, from those universities. Then there's also what's called the industrial panels. Um, there's a number of them, the agriculture panel, the labour panel, some others. Um, and you have to in theory at least, prove that you have some kind of background in the general subject of the panel you're running for. So you can be an expert, let's say, in, in you know agriculture and put your name forward for the agriculture panel um, and you then basically canvass and lobby um, county councillors across the country um, who can vote for you. And one of the big bonuses that the Taoiseach has, he gets to just nominate people who he... Is it just his buddies? He does. There's the Taoiseach's nominees. Um, Maybe they're his buddies. He would say, or she, hopefully one day, would say that they are um, appointees that you know have particular expertise in their field or in public and social and civic life. One of the one of the questions my students ask me to ask you is. What does this term confidence and supply agreement mean? It seems like a very complicated thing. Can you explain it to them in a relatively simple way? They're right, it is complicated. Um, on the other side, it's very simplistic. It's Fianna Fáil propping up Fine Gael. Um, but the complicated side of it is uh, they sat down together and trashed out a programme for government, which includes a number of things that they, Fine Gael have promised to implement and Fianna Fáil have promised to support if they definitely implement um, this, the confidence element of it is if one of those things in the programme for government doesn't materialise or isn't delivered on, Fianna Fáil hold the right to pull out of government um, or to pull out of supporting the government at any stage. One of the topics that comes up on our course is um, the idea of uh, gender equality uh, and looking in and around the Dáil, it doesn't seem to be a particularly uh, gender-balanced environment. Can you talk us through how that works or how that's changing at the moment? 
it is changing. There's no doubt about it. And if you look around at all today, you'll see a very different doll than if you looked around five, ten years ago. Having said that, it's still not a, a gender balanced parliament. Um, nor is it a balanced parliament in general. You won't see many people of diff- different ethnic origins in there either. Um, and I think that's something we really need to work on changing. There's a lot of talk at the moment in general public life about how we can make things more um, accessible or inviting um, for women. And part of that is changing the culture and the culture in, in Dáil Éireann and Leinster House in general has traditionally been male dominated. So there is a very male culture in there that, you know, if you tune into leaders' questions most days, you'll see a very aggressive, shouty type of politics, which sometimes isn't conducive to convincing females to get involved in. One of our one of our key uh, phrases in the in the course is the idea of patriarchy. Would you say it's a patriarchal environment? I'd say it has been a patriarchal environment. I'd say there's certainly um, moves underway to change that, but uh, it is still dominated by a patriarchal environment. Um, and even any of the moves that have been made in recent years in terms of trying to change it to a more family friendly workplace, they don't really stack up. I mean, if you look at next week's doll schedule, for example, you'll see we're sitting from 10 a.m. every morning until 11 p.m. every evening. Uh, now, I, I don't think anybody would find that family friendly, for example. And it, cre- it creates difficulties, there's no doubt about it. And it can be off-putting to a woman looking to get involved in politics who sees something like that and finds it impossible to see how she could juggle that with a family life. And it's 22% women now? Yeah, I think that's about right. 22% when they make up more than 50% of the population. Mm. Now, it's worth saying that at the last general election, I think it was uh, independent newspapers done a piece uh, in relation to the gender balance of candidates running, and it wasn't for the want of female candidates. So we need to be convincing people to really closely look at the female candidates running in their area and consider giving them their preferences. It's time for Quote of the Day. The quotes this week centre around the idea of democracy itself. The first quote comes from one of my all-time favourite political speeches. The Gettysburg Address was delivered by US President Abraham Lincoln in November of 1863, only a few months after the Battle of Gettysburg, one of the central battles of the US Civil War. Incidentally, over 200,000 Irishmen fought in that war, ranking it behind only World War I as the second largest war that Irish people have ever participated in. Lincoln described democracy in that speech as being, quote, of the people, by the people, and for the people. I like this quote because, like I say in the tagline of the podcast, it reminds us that we should never see ourselves as existing separate to the government that carries on the day-to-day running of our country. The second quotation chimes with me, particularly in the complicated and sometimes messy world of our own government. Winston Churchill, although no great friend of Irish sovereignty, once described democracy as, quote, the worst form of government except all those other forms that have been tried. I feel this is important because for all of its faults, and there are many, I for one would certainly prefer democracy as opposed to totalitarian dictatorship. The only time I'm okay with a dictatorship is when it's in my own classroom. We'll return to Anne-Marie now, who will talk us through some of the other responsibilities that TDs have in the Dáil, particularly the legislative process, writing the laws. Now, you mentioned there that the Dáil can sit from 
10 a.m. until maybe 11 p.m. or sometimes even later at night. Absolutely. But sometimes when you see the clips on the news, a lot of students will be saying, but there's only five or six people in the room. God, that must be a grand old life for those, uh, those politicians. I think I'll do that. Uh, and it isn't maybe as clear-cut as that. No, it's not. And that's one of the big problems we have in terms of you know communicating how politics works to people. Because nine times out of ten, when you see the doll chamber empty, it's not because the TDs are off you know, sipping pints or having coffees around town. It's because they're in the committee rooms. Um, and one of the big problems we have in our Oireachtas is that the committees sit simultaneously to uh, the doll and Shannon sitting. So the committee, what's the job of then of, of these different committees? What is a TD expected to do outside their, their work in the chamber? So so there's various different committees, generally along departmental lines. So you'll have the Justice Committee, the Health Committee, um, the Foreign Affairs Committee, for example. And they will deal with the pieces of legislation um, that the department are trying to put through. So there's a new thing now called pre-legislative scrutiny. So if the Department of Health, for example, is considering introducing a bill, um, it will first go to the committee where they will scrutinise that piece of legislation. Um, they will bring in experts from outside uh, who work in, for example, the health service, nurses, doctors, patients, um, anybody who feel they can have an input into the bill. So that when the bill, the idea is that when the bill eventually comes before the floor at all, it will be a more rounded, more thorough piece of legislation. Um, it then goes through a second stage in the doll, which is where debate happens on the bill. And then it's referred back to committee. The second stage is where we see all the actual arguments. Um, it, vocalized yes it is yeah. so each party gets 20 minutes uh, to do what are called openers so you get a 20 minute speech on a piece of legislation um, and each of the eight parties or groupings will have that 20 minutes um, it then goes into a, a flip flop as they call it um, of slots so that could maybe take a day maybe two days depending on the piece of legislation and then it will go back into the committee um, and at that stage people from across the Oireachtas can table amendments to the bill and the committee will consider those amendments so for example a health piece of legislation is going through um, and Catherine Murphy of the Social Democrats might want to table an amendment to that piece of legislation. She submits that to the Health Committee and then the TDs that sit on the Health Committee will consider that amendment um, and whether it will benefit the bill. If they think it will, they'll accept the amendment. Um, if they think it won't, they won't. Um, it, a lot of times amendments will be ruled out of order and all that kind of thing. But generally the idea is that the committee uh, stage is supposed to strengthen and enhance the eventual piece of legislation that turns into an act. The TDs are obviously very busy between their constituency work, between their work in the doll itself and between the work in the committees. But the person or the people that the that the students are most likely to have come across are going to be the Taoiseach and the Can you outline what their roles are? Okay, so the Taoiseach is leader of government and leader of the country. Um, he or she <laughs> will take the, the big set pieces. So leaders' questions, um, questions to one Taoiseach, obviously. Um, generally order of business. So the, the main pieces of the day where you'll see opposition um, TDs get to question government will generally be taken by Taoiseach. Tanisha is second in command, so he or she, uh, she at the moment, will step into the Taoiseach's shoes when, when they're away on official business or when they can't do leaders' questions on Thursdays, for example, which is something more challenging. Um, but generally speaking, the role of Tanisha is to be, is to be the step-in person. Um, it has usually coincided with either Minister for Finance or Minister Minister for Justice. Um, slight change at the moment with Francis Fitzgerald having been moved out of the Justice portfolio recently. But generally speaking, it has gone along finance and justice lines. Um, obviously, a very senior position in government and a very important position. And they then are in charge of running the cabinet as well. They are. Whereas yeah. a lot of the kind of important, well, the 
the day-to-day decisions of running the country are made? Yeah, so the cabinet um, is made up of the senior ministers in government, um, meets once a week and you know, any pieces of legislation that are being mooted will be put before a cabinet before anyone else sees, sees or hears of it. Um, any important decisions that are to be taken in relation to government, you know, how government businesses to go forward or how government might act in a particular way, any specific crises facing the country um, will all be discussed at cabinet before any of the rest of us get any kind of say in it. And then they have a, a, a kind of an international role as well, don't they? Oh, they do, obviously. I mean, as heads of state, essentially, is what they are. Um, they are very much the front-facing uh, element of, of Irish government. Similarly, with the, particularly in the light of Brexit, foreign affairs uh, you know, is almost up there in an equal status in terms of that front-facing piece of work. Um, so they would very much be the representatives of Irish government abroad, uh, you know, in conjunction with the president. In this week's The Students Strike Back, I talked to some of the representatives of the school council here in King's Hospital. I started off by talking to Robert, the student president, and asked him just how tricky it was to get a group of teenagers to agree on anything. Well, I mean, for the most part, I think they're fairly good and they do the work that we ask them to do and they understand what they're doing and how to do it. But I suppose the first issue is when people don't fully understand the purpose of what they're doing and they kind of don't think that it's important and they don't realize that everybody's... When we ask somebody to do something, it contributes to the overall scheme. Like when one person falls through, it's that whole thing of we're only as strong as we're our weakest link. Uh, When one person doesn't do the work we want them to do, it stalls everything. And usually since we only have meetings once a week, it stalls things by a week. And in our time with so many breaks and so little time in general, a week is a massive amount of time. And we'll often fall behind when one person doesn't do it like one simple job. That sounds like a familiar frustration, all right. Um, One of the things that's most impressed me about the Student Council is how environmentally aware you are, particularly with issues of sustainable development, and most recently your campaign around Meatless Monday. Could you talk us through how that emerged? Uh, We, as the Student Council, believe that meat uh, contributes so much to environmental uh, change and climate change, uh, and that's something that people don't think about, so we were trying to get the school to think about it, and because of this, they've implemented a pilot program for one day a week where there's only vegetarian food coming out of the kitchens. And there's still a lot to work to do there. So a lot of minds that we have to change and people we have to convince. But uh, as far as it goes, I think they've both been fairly successful. To investigate whether the gender issues that we identified in the National Parliament are replicated in the Student Council, I turned to Millie, who is the representative of the Fifth Year Girls. And I asked her if she felt her voice was adequately represented. Yeah, I definitely have an adequate voice. And the gender balance is really 50-50 in the council. We make sure it's one girl and one boy, or two girls and two boys. And um, everyone gets their say, regardless of their gender. I continued by asking Millie whether being a member of the student council had actually been an enjoyable experience. Yeah, it has been enjoyable. I really like being the link between students and more people with authority and the people you make and change the rules and bringing ideas that students have to the student council and seeing if we can make them possible. Not only gender but age can also play a factor in student politics so I asked Kean, one of the second year representatives, whether he felt his young age limited his ability to participate. Well I do feel because um, 
the age difference between everyone, there is a big age difference, but um, there is equality and you do get a say. And if you want to say something, it is hurt and everyone does respect your opinion. You feel you're taken seriously? Yeah, I do, yeah. My final question here was for the amazing Miss Susan Leahy, one of the Spanish teachers in our school who coordinates the student council. I asked her could she identify for us some of the significant challenges that she faces in trying to help to develop the student council. One of the things that I find challenging with it is getting the kids to focus on changing policy and ways of thinking rather than just focusing on events because we need to run events in order to raise money. That's an essential part of it and we can't get away from it. But that's not what it should be about or that's not what only what it should be about. There should be a sense of looking at the school and saying how can we make this a better place. The thing is change takes time and the students want to see change immediately. So you can see change immediately if you say this door is broken and you go and you get it fixed. And often that's what we're doing. We're looking after maintenance reporting saying this is wrong we need to fix it or it's broken we need to fix it but it's things like say charter day which four councils ago started talking about it saying this isn't working and three councils ago said let's do a google doc and put all of our thoughts into it and we submitted that to the deputy head and then two councils ago we were working on how could we change it and what would we do and putting together a table quiz that would be part of the day and working on those suggestions. Now, as it happened, that was last year, and the, the day had to change anyway. This year now, we're looking at a real change in it, and, a, and a, it's a stepping stone to what it could be. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty and close reflection, then, of you know, a consistently changing governments trying to bring in long-term yeah. policies. It's actually not that far away yeah. from you know, the real challenges that politicians and society faces in the, in the, in the, on the macro scale. Very much so. And it's hard because the students come in with their election platform, you know, the promises they've made to their constituency before they got in. And often those promises are things like, you know, Wi-Fi for everyone with no checks on it or larger portions of food. And those are the things every year that, that we actually can't change because they're, they're run by management. That problem of implementing long-term change sounded quite familiar. So I went back to Anne-Marie McNally and asked her how that fitted in on the national scale. There's a thing um, that's known as the permanent government, and that is the civil and public servants um, that keep the show on the road, essentially. So they're the ones, you know, who are the, the backroom staff um, in Leinster House. Uh, the government whips office, for example, is a very powerful body in terms of deciding what legislation will be tabled over the course of a year and what will get through. Um, it's one of the big problems, actually, is that because politics in Ireland tends to run from an election to election cycle and there's no kind of long term strate strategic vision, is that once a TD or, or a minister is, um, you know, loses his or her seat or is moved from office, that the entire plan for that department will change. Um, whereas the permanent civil servants in that department um, at this stage are almost weary of the constant changeover of personnel. So it's very hard to get a, a strategic piece of, of work done. We also have one of the most centralised executives in the Western world. And what I mean by that is uh, local government doesn't really have um, you know, a decent functioning power in this country. It's very much... Uh, 
removed from central government. So we have a problem whereby we see TDs who are elected to deal with national legislative issues, dealing with potholes or streetlights in their local area, uh, what's known as the clientele system of politics. So there's a, you know, they're very much the, the middleman for citizens to get things done. Realistically, that should be a county councillor's job. But because local government really doesn't have much power, people tend to bypass their local councillors and go to their local TDs. So what you're suggesting is that uh, what the system is set up but doesn't really run in the way that the TDs are dealing with national issues, local councillors should deal with local issues, and then the civil servants get on with implementing a long-term strategy. That would be the ideal way it works? That would be the absolute ideal way politics should work. And But we're not quite at that stage. We're not quite at that stage. And one of the things I would point to, there was a comment made in the Oireachtas Committee on the Eighth Amendment there two weeks ago, where um, actually a government TD urged people to really watch what was happening and not elect the person because they were the person who got your pothole fixed, but to elect the person that you would trust to make legislative decisions that are going to affect your life. If students themselves are at home or in school and they're trying to work out what's actually happening in the doll, how can they go out finding out about these things? It's actually really accessible um, and most people don't know that. But if you log on to both Sky and UPC show Oroctus TV... Um, so you can turn that on at any hour of the day. They'll be shown live business when it's happening. And when there's no live business happening, they'll be shown something that has happened maybe the previous day. You can log on to eroctus.ie. They've got streams there for your iPhone. They've got streams that you can watch on your laptop um, of live business. You can also click on different channels on there and watch committee proceedings that are happening. So you can tune into the eight committee, the public accounts committee. Um, you can see business as it happens. And I would also say read, um, get a national newspaper daily. They'll always have the politics session. Um, section that will keep you up to date on what's going on. Thanks so much, Emery, for your time. Uh, before I let you go, though, I want you to imagine a scenario. Imagine it's four or five years down the road. Some of the, the first few groupings of the politics and society classes have come through the system and they've gone off and they've studied in university and are now running for the doll. Uh, and miraculously, one of them gets a, elected first time round, and you bump into them in the corridors of power. What three pieces of advice would you give to them walking into the doll for the first time? So the first thing I'd say is stay true to what you actually believe in. You're in there for a reason. Um, don't lose sight of that reason. The second thing would be uh, relationships are key. Form relationships with everybody. Be friendly. Uh, be open and have mutual respect. You might totally disagree with somebody in there, but they believe in what they're doing. Um, and ideologies are very different to human people. Um, so respect everyone in there. It makes it much easier to do things if you're willing to work collaboratively. And the third piece of advice I would give would be um, stay humble. You know, uh, keep in touch with people outside what is traditionally known as the bubble of, of the doll and answer house. It can be very easy to be consumed by the issues in there and lose touch with, you know, the issues that are facing real people outside that bubble. Um, so be very aware of that and, and make sure to keep in touch with the real world. Well, I don't know about you, but I think that Anne-Marie's three rules there should apply well beyond the world of politics, and that you'd be well served by using them in everyday life. Well, that was a pretty jam-packed 30 minutes. I hope there's plenty there to, for you to chew on. All that's left for me to do is to remind you to like and subscribe to the podcast, either on iTunes, Stitcher, or on the website. If you want to give us a five-star rating, that'll help other students find our episodes when they go looking. I also like to remind you to go and check the episode notes on the website www.pulsockpodcast.com. What will you find there this week? Well, there'll be a handout on the legis legislative process, a tricky one, 
Um, you'll find more information on the gender quota issues that Amory raised about the Doyle earlier, as well as other useful links and worksheets to help you master this particular topic. Now that we're fully up and running, uh, I'm going to adopt a somewhat more sustainable approach myself, particularly as I head into every teacher's worst nightmare, the marking of Christmas exams. So keep an eye out for episode four, just this side of Christmas. And with the possibility of a general election between now and then, remember that even if you're not able to vote, there are lots of ways to make your voice heard. Talk to your older brothers and sisters, your friends, your parents, and remember to remind them that they're not apart from society, that they're a part of society. See you next time.